Welcome everybody to the next episode of the Cannabis Review. I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Spiros Malandrakis, who's the head of research of alcoholic drinks at Euromonitor International. How are you keeping today, Spiros? It's a beautiful day. Great to be here. Thank you very much for joining me, a man with a, a wealth of experience. Hopefully we'll be able to shed some light on the cannabis drinks industry for the viewers. Can you maybe give everybody a little overview of how long you've been researching the alcoholic drink market and your period at Euromonitor? I've been, um, I've had the lack of researching alcoholic drinks for the last 17 years or so, uh, primarily focusing on branding um, and kind of my, my my beautiful job is predicting what people will be drinking around the world. So essentially all the great things from the bars to the retailers in all categories from wine to spirits to RTDs and everything in between like the categories like um, non-alcoholic adult beverages that have been making um, waves in the last couple of years. And while I've been covering the industry for the last 17 years and has been extremely exciting and continues to be, alcohol is a, you know, it's, a, it's an area that I'm continue being very passionate about. About six or seven years ago, we started realizing that there is a new kid in the block. Uh, we started realizing that the alcohol industry is on the defensive. Um, there has been a shift primarily when it comes to millennial demographics and Generation Z demographics moving away from uh, the alcohol consumption as we perceived it in the last couple of decades. And they're focusing more or pivoting or shifting more towards moderation initiatives, um, health and wellness, um, uh, dry venues, um, uh, and non-alcoholic adult beverages, a category that a couple of years ago would sound like an oxymoron. And at that stage, when I realized that this is happening, regardless of cannabis and anything cannabis related, I also realized that that could potentially be the point of cross-pollination between the two industries. So as the alcohol industry is trying to find alternatives to ethanol, basically um, ingredients that can provide some kind of high or some kind of social lubricant effects without necessarily incorporating alcohol in the process, cannabis could potentially provide exactly that. So that kind of brings me to this conversation today. Incredible. And what do you believe are the biggest challenges facing the cannabis beverage market? And uh, how do you see these evolving over the next few years? The, I mean, alcohol is doing great. Um, it has been expanding for a number of years now. But when it comes to volume and when it comes primarily to the mature Western markets, as we perceive them, uh, like Western Europe, uh, North America, um, um, even, even increasingly other places like Latin America or even Asia to an extent, I think it has starting to reach a point of uh, saturation and extreme maturity, especially when it comes to some of the major categories. And exactly because of reaching that state over the last 10 to 20 years, the transition in alcohol was, has been primarily towards what we call value creation or premiumization. So since the category could not, could not really um, provide additional momentum in volume, it was focusing primarily on value. Now, that also cannot be infinite. It has its limitations, especially in, in an era that we live right now, which is one of the, the greatest challenges when it comes to macroeconomics and uh, the cost of, li of living crisis. Um, so any alternative of expansion beyond those realms that we have been exploring in alcohol for the last couple of hundreds of years can provide amazing opportunities moving forward. And I think this is what cannabis has the potential to do. Incredible. And we've got new products and new legislation kind of evolving constantly around the world. How do you keep on top of all the information? Are there certain sources of go-to or is it a broad spectrum of a little bit from here, a little bit from here? Euromonitor uh, has analysts on about 100 markets around the world. So, so we have kind of boots on the ground, providing some kind of unique perspectives on, on the latest when it comes to this 
um, innovation, latest kind of trends on the ground. But at the same time, I, I have the pleasure of uh, having some very interesting conversations with some of the biggest companies out there, many of the smaller craft producers as well. And it's an ongoing kind of evolving conversation. You know, it, it's it never really ends. It's never going to, it's not supposed to end. And it can start sometimes from a little walk down the street in my local East London bar, all the way to a conversation to a, the analyst on, on the ground in Shanghai telling me exactly what's happening over there. My, my job is to kind of combine all this information and make it into actionable trends or predictions about how what the future holds. Incredible. And so what do you see as the key trends that are going to shape the cannabis beverage industry over the next few years? And how are they going to affect the producers and the, the suppliers of these drinks? I mean, this is a beautiful question, but I think it can go in many different directions. When we talk about cannabis beverages, in practice, we speak um, about two, I mean, more than two, but essentially the, the key kind of two bastions of, on one hand is the CBD side, which has been making inroads for a number of years now, uh, much more ubiquitous than THC drinks, obviously, uh, much easier when it comes to the legislative frameworks to be allowed. And they have been making successes uh, in Europe uh, and in, in the US and North America in general, and increasingly in other places around the planet as well. Uh, as I said, uh, much easier to democratize because the legislation uh, is much more likely to allow them to do so. On the other side, we have THC beverages, which is much more niche. Um, they, they do incorporate the psychoactive substance in cannabis. Um, they, I personally see them as having the most potential to actually replace alcoholic drinks in the long term, not immediately, once the legislative uh, frameworks allow them to do that. And these are the kind of, if you wish, the two main bastions. Um, CBD, I, con I see it as continuing to grow, uh, potentially with a little bit more moderation on the initial kind of stratospheric expansion growth rates of the, of the initial years, but def definitely a lot of uh, a way forward um, as we move into um, CBD plus products, like not just containing CBD, but also some minor cannabinoids, some adaptogens, uh, in some cases, some um, uh, vitamins, energizing um, elements or molecules. I think that the list will expand to create this kind of added value CBD health and wellness position products. On the other hand, THC, um, Unfortunately, it's not really allowed in the vast majority of markets at the moment, um, but we do see it very slowly starting to make inroads in um, markets like in the US or in Canada. Um, the problem it has been facing for, until now for a number of years has been primarily on the back of, of the fact that what we call the onset of the effect. So many of these formulations, because uh, THC and cannabis is not water soluble, but rather fat soluble, we're not made in a way that allowed consumers to drink it and have an effect within 15-20 minutes. Uh, in many cases, it actually ended up having an effect in about two or three hours after consumption. And as you can imagine, if uh, someone consumes an, an, any kind of drink um, for the effect to then come in uh, online in about two or three hours as they're about to get their car to go back home, that is not really um, supportive of a social experience of any kind. And obviously that didn't work. Now, with, uh, with new techniques like, like uh, nanomalfication um, and increasingly new kind of technological advances when it comes to that, many of these products actually do have an effect of the onset of the effect within 15 to 20 minutes. So they start replicating the cycle of consumption of alcoholic drinks, of a beer, of a spirit, of a cocktail. And I think that's where it starts getting much more interesting. Saying that, um, THC beverages are still only accounting for a very low single digits of overall cannabis consumption rates. So that is really small at the moment. And I think 
where we will start really seeing them making um, massive advances in the future will be primarily when they start appearing in on-trade, so cannabis lounges, um, when we start um, seeing many more of them appearing in dispensaries and when the legislative frameworks allow them to actually make the impact that I know they can have in the next five to ten years. Okay, and one of the challenges that are facing the cannabis beverage industry is the dosage of CBD or THC. And as you mentioned, emulsion technology and the, the, the talk of cannabinoids sticking to aluminium cans. How do you see that problem being solved? Is it going to be a technology solution, a biotech company creating a, a core ingredient that actually is proven to have efficacy in A, B and C that allows a Perno Ricard or a Diageo to go, OK, we're now going to make our own uh, line of these beverages? I think um, it's a great question. It's, it's more on the technical side rather than the branding side. And I think um, some kind of um, reliability when it comes to mass production will definitely need to be there. And as we know, all of these companies, all the major alcohol companies, are not in control, that they don't approach alcohol consumption or, or production via this kind of famed cannabis approach of uh, vertical integration. There's not really much vertical integration in alcohol drinks. Alcohol players know what they do well, and that is logistics and branding. And that's what they're focusing on. In some cases, maturation as well, but it's not that they necessarily, uh, the EBIs or Heineken's of the world will go out having mass uh, production of uh, of their own kind of uh, hops or or, or uh, basic ingredients for for their drinks they kind of um, they take that from the outside but they need to have reliable partners to support them in that and i think i agree with that um, there will be one side of the market primarily the mass side of the market that will need this kind of reliable inputs that will become a, an essential part of this kind of production equation. At the same time, I, I think that we will shift towards, um, when it comes to the premium side of these things, and at the moment they don't really exist, there's only a few of them, but will be more about specific geographic identification initiatives. Uh, I expect something like, in the context like uh, cognac or champagne, so cannabis coming from specific areas or regions around the world, be it the, um, for example, the, uh, the, 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 the the Golden Triangle in California, Mendocino County, um, places that have been intricately connected with the wine industry, for example, historically, uh, and they will have this kind of added value, even potentially luxury potential, almost like champagne, almost like cognac, and, and that would provide the inputs for the higher end or more premium side of alcohol, of cannabis drinks in the future. But so, but... Both the mass markets and the premium or super premium sites both have potential. They will not be the same, but I, I would expect as the industry evolves and becomes much bigger, more countries are playing into this field. I think we will see very interesting developments in innovation, technological advancements and perceptions when it comes to um, different kind of violence from different areas around the planet. Okay, and so there's been the um, the hype around cannabis beverages has been pretty big, but the adoption rate has been pretty low. You mentioned there that none of the alcohol beverages are fully integrated companies, like with chocolate, like with any large industry. You stick to your wheelhouse, you become an expert in that. Do you see that the branding is going to end up becoming the biggest sale of the whole platform? Because the, the core ingredient is going to be pretty irrelevant to most people as it is with beer, or as it is with a number of or alcohol beverages. So somebody like the likes of guys, Luca, I can, and the guys over in America, they seem to have gotten the branding perfect. Their target audience is perfect. Do you see that the branding and the story behind the beverage is going to be paramount to the success of any company? Two points on that. Um, 
um, as I as I've said in the past many times, and I continue saying it, in the alcohol industry, alcohol in general and alcohol offerings are primarily marketing in a bottle, branding in a bottle. So the value of branding in many cases is actually higher or more important than the actual liquid inside the can or inside the bottle. So we can never really overstate the importance of, of, of branding. And in some cases, unfortunately, within cannabis, there has been this kind of misunderstanding uh, until now uh, for many uh, companies that it was the idea that you just stick some cannabis in a bottle and just just going to sell itself. I think we're slowly moving away from that era and people start realizing the importance of um, positioning, um, demographic targeting, uh, occasion targeting, and obviously ultimately branding. And you mentioned CAN, um, for our listeners that are not familiar with CAN, C-A-N-N, uh, one of the most um, iconic cannabis, THC-infused cannabis brands in the U.S. at the moment, appearing in many states and increasingly expanding, having the support of a number of uh, Hollywood celebrities and Hollywood royalty, from Gwyneth Paltrow to Rosario Dawson to many others that are increasingly coming into the fold, supportive of LGBTQ issues, um, so much more open to these demographics of Generation Z consumers that are always very, very interested in not just the brand proposition, but what what a brand is supportive of, what, what are the values of a brand, and they're doing it exactly right. But I would also, on top of that, I would stress um, another kind of uh, differentiation factor as we're moving forward, and that would be the content. And can and products like can are increasingly creating this kind of um, polarized approach when it comes to cannabis pro uh, products. And uh, we have on the one side products like can that have a very low THC co content that allows for what we call kind of curious consumers, consumers that are not very familiar with cannabis, potentially in some cases even intimidated by, by cannabis drinks, um, allows them to try them because they only contain two milligrams of THC in every can, essentially like a light beer when it comes to um, alcohol, if we made this kind of parallel. On the other hand, on the other side of this kind of polarized approach, we have the very, very high dosage cannabis beverages in the US, like our Uncle Arnie's, for example, that have 100 micrograms in every bottle, which, again, they obviously do not target anyone kind of curious in any way. They target the cannabis connoisseurs, uh, people that have been consuming cannabis for a number of years, they know exactly what they're looking for, um, and they are looking for a very, very high uh, dosage, very high, high impact kind of um, products. I think both have potential moving forward, and as the industry is evolving and is expanding, I think there is space in both cases. In, in some cases, even the high dosage products might be even more relevant in the short term, because they are focusing on an existing consumer base that is thinking of it in terms of how much high I get for my buck. That's that's the approach. But in the medium to longer term, I'm much more excited about products like Can, low dosage, allowing for sessionable evenings, essentially allowing people to have a couple of these cans um, around a group of friends without the, the fear or intimidation that this kind of really high, strong products can uh, offer. In both cases, in high uh, dosage products and in low sessionable products, um, in both cases, I think branding, positioning, occasions, demographic breakdowns, all of these things will become increasingly more important as the industry is slowly coming of age. 
One last thing before I let you go. Europe obviously has a far more advanced alcoholic beverage history than other parts of, of the world. Do you see once the legislation and the regulations come in that the ability for European brands to dominate this sector is going to be quite enhanced, that uh, the, the American companies won't be able to keep up with the technical know-how that the European companies have? Or do you think America already has too much of a head start? That's a great question. I think uh, America definitely has a head start when it comes to the technology. Um, and I think that would be very, very difficult to um, to compete against in Europe simply because we're currently running about a decade behind and considering the latest information uh, about the very slow yet steady steps of legalization when it comes to European markets like uh, the Czech Republic or Germany or the Netherlands, mostly still on an experimental stage, not allowing a fully-fledged kind of cannabis market. Uh, or research and development when it comes to all that, I think the American companies definitely have a head start when it, on, on that side. On the other hand, I think there is a massive misconception for, for a number of investors and our American friends looking towards Europe, thinking that you can literally just take any American brand and superimpose it in European markets. And, and I've seen that um, fallacy um, taking shape in alcoholic drinks in the past, um, I can use the latest example of the attempt to superimpose hard seltzers to European markets, a term that was not even semantically translating in Europe. And obviously, most European consumers couldn't understand what they were, and they mostly flopped. I can see a similar mistake about to happen when it comes to cannabis beverages. And I think, yes, the tech know-how is there. The passion of the, for the industry is there. Um, they have been doing it for a number of years. You understand scale, you understand logistics. But they need to also understand that, first of all, Europe is not one country. It's many, many countries that are very, very different between them. And secondly, that they have to speak the language of the consumers on each individual, even not just on a country level, but on a regional or even on a city-based level. And I think managing to tailor this offering, tailor the brand proposition according to exactly what specific demographics in each of these markets is looking for will be the key to unlocking the massive potential for the European markets in the future. It's been absolutely fantastic talking to you, Spurs. We've just run over our time, and I know you're a very busy man, so I won't keep you much longer. I'd like to thank you very much for taking your time, and hopefully we can get to chat again towards the end of the year and see how advanced the European uh, cannabis beverage market has gotten. Thank you very much. Look forward to it, and uh, hopefully in the next couple of years we can share a cannabis drink together as well. I very much look forward to it. Thank you very much, Spurs, and thanks everybody for watching. See you in the next episode. Oh,